So let's look at Acts chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1 uh, to get the context of our text. Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And by this, by the way, there was only one church at this point, as far as they were not around the world, they were not around Israel, they were congregated in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Notice that, that's part of our study this morning, Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. And remember last week we talked about that phrase, made havoc of the church. It's like a wild animal going crazy over their prey. They're devouring it. They're thrashing. They're tearing it apart. That's the analogy here. He made havoc of the church entering every house. Notice that. Entering every house and dragging off men and women. Not Jewish, not, not Jewish people, but they were Jewish people, but Jewish believers specifically. Jewish believers. So this wasn't the police. This wasn't the CII, the FBI, whatever group you want to think of. This was a religious man who was like a wild animal seeking prey. And once he caught his prey, devouring it, tearing it apart. you got to get that imagery because that is what religion is all about, even to this day. Dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, now our text, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Father, we thank you for this morning and we just once again come to worship you by surrendering our hearts, our our souls, our minds to your word and what you would have for us individually, what you'd have for us in our marriages, for our families, corporately as a church. We don't need another Bible study per se. We need more of your Holy Spirit to transform our hearts individually. So that's my prayer, Father. Even transform my heart. That you would be glorified in and through your word this morning, Father. I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, in our last study, we learned about Saul and his upbringing, his his schooling, his position in society, and his anger. He had a very serious anger issue. This morning we're going to learn about another man whose personality is exactly the opposite, and his name is Philip. But before we do that, I'd like to touch on a few scriptures about anger that we didn't have time for last week. And, and even as I mentioned it at the very end of the service, a few people came up for prayer specifically for anger, and so I know it's real I knew that before I did the the invitation. We all have to deal with it. Um, I have to deal with it on a regular basis. I only make sure that I only watch so much news. If I watch too much news, I don't listen to talk radio. It just gets me so mad, so frustrated, and I lose my focus. And so you have to know what you can do. And if you know that you can't do something, then don't do it. Just be mature enough to say don't do it. Everybody else can talk about it. I I talked with a brother two weeks ago, and... um, (laughs) And he was making some comments. I go, well, you know, you listen to talk radio all day long. I think that's why you're a little frustrated. You need to back off that that talk radio. And he agreed. He he just, just gets him so worked up about all the things of this life. And so we have to learn our own hearts, our own personalities, what we can do, what we can't do, and then be mature enough not to do it. And it's, it's as simple as that. I think many believers have an issue with anger but it's hard to admit it to others. I mean, who wants to admit that? What's the best thing to do about that then? Well, start by admitting your anger issue to God, first and foremost. Go to Him. 
He already knows you're not going to surprise him, but he's not going to bust down the door. You have to admit, I have to admit any issues we might have, specifically this morning dealing with anger. And then it will be easier to admit it to someone else who can hold you accountable. And again, that word accountable is a scary word because that means they're going to ask me on a regular basis, hey, how you doing? And you can either then become a liar or you can tell the truth, which is, again, is uncomfortable. But you're going to find that that's going to help you grow and mature into the person, into the believer that you really want to be. So let's look at a few scriptures that the Holy Spirit will use to heal that area of our lives. Again, I know people are dealing with this. You see, God has given us the scriptures. He's already done his deal. We just need to read, meditate, memorize, and apply them. If we're not getting over an issue, we can't blame God. God's given us the answer. It's our responsibility to take that word and now really meditate on it, memorize, and ask the Holy Spirit to give us strength to apply it. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Put away. Focus on those words there. Put away from you with all malice. So here is an action that you and I, we are called, we are responsible to do. We're to put something away. We'll break this down a little bit further. Colossians 3, 8 and 9 says, But now you yourselves, notice this, now you yourselves are to put off these things. So do you guys see the action in the word of God? It's relevant. Some people say the Bible's not relevant, it's not applicable, it's archaic, it doesn't apply to my life. They're not reading the Bible. When you read the Bible, it's totally relevant. But here's a responsibility on my part. I can't blame anybody else. I've got to look to myself and say, no, I need to do this. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. This verse right here is the specific verse that cured me of uh, swearing. So I used to have a very foul mouth. And as I became a believer, I still swore, not as much, because there was something inside me that said, don't do that. But I couldn't deliver myself of it until I came across this verse. And then I meditated on it, I memorized it, I quoted it. And then very shortly after that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I no longer swore. And so if you don't think it's real, you're not doing it, you're not practicing. It is The Bible is very, very real. It's just how serious do you take it? It will deliver you. It delivered me. It will deliver you. So how can I put away or put off anger? Let's look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Very important. Well, how can I do it? Well, first and foremost, you have to be a believer. If you're here this morning and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, then he's not going to become your Lord. And the last song we sang, the last line of the song, I believe, we sang was, Lord of all. You see, music should be theology. Not just something to make us feel good and get us hyped up and excited or tearful or this, that, or that. No, there's, there's theology in music. At least what, what Matt chooses, he really he prays about it. Terrence, the, those who choose the music, they're really prayerful about these things during the week. To not just bring songs that you're going to like. Oh, I like this song. I'm going to sing. Oh, why aren't they doing more hymns? Oh, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? We're not here to critique. We're here to enter in. The second service, I'm going to go over and do special needs music. Can I enter into special needs music? tell you, these, these few kids over there are excited. When you start singing a song, they're excited about that song. And they start clapping and they get a smile. That's called entering in. They're excited about Jesus. Do they have the mental capacity to even understand everything that we do? No. But they're excited. They're excited. So it's where are you coming from? It's not where is the team coming from? Why don't we have more hymns? Why don't we have more fast? Why isn't it louder? Why isn't it softer? Why isn't it faster? Why isn't it slower? You're missing all of it, guys. It's about here. Why am I not singing is the question. Why am I not entering in is the question. doesn't matter who's up here. Why am I 
not being responsible for my attitude about what is going on right now in front of me. Because they're not here to entertain. They're here to worship the Lord, and we get to partake of their worship. They're really not here, guys. We emphasize this, and they emphasize this. They're not here. So, first of all, you need to be a believer. Then you need to submit or surrender to the Holy Spirit, that area of your life that you're looking to get help in. Because again, the song didn't say, Lord of some. Now maybe you don't know what Lord means, maybe you're new to the faith. Lord means master. If he's my master, what does that make me? A servant, a bond servant, a slave. If he's my Lord, then I submit to his lordship And when he tells me to do something, I need to do it. But I don't do it in my own strength because I will fail. This isn't a pep talk about you pulling up by your bootstraps and getting your act together. No, it's through the Holy Spirit. I need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then will give me strength to do those things that he's calling me to do. Romans 13 says, And do this knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. Now, Paul wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. A lot has happened in the last 2,000 years. But guys, according to Bible prophecy, Jesus said, I'll be back. Not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Jesus said it first, I'll be back. And he is coming back. And he said right before his return, it's going to be as it was in the days of Sodom. It's going to be as it was in the days of Noah. There's going to be violence upon the face of the whole earth. Human sexuality is going to be confused. Now again, people have been saying for decades, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. You might think in your mind, well, my grandmother and my great-grandmother used to say that. He's not back. Well, Israel was not a nation until 1967. Jerusalem was not a part of Israel until 1948. The prophetic clock started, I believe, in 19, uh, 1967. Israel not a nation, 48, became a nation. Jerusalem became part of Israel in 1967. Prophetic clock starts. Jesus said, this generation shall not pass. Is it going to get better in our generation? I'm not a downer. I'm just a realist. I don't want to ruin your day. I want you to look up. I want you to look up and realize, hey, I only got so much time to minister to witness because there's not going to be any witnessing in heaven, guys. Nobody's going to go around walking up to people. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? We're in heaven, guys. Nobody's going to be doing any of that. So we only have one opportunity, and it's on this side of heaven, on this side of heaven. So for you and I, even as the church, do you think the church in America is awake today? Big church. Do you really think the church in America is awake today? If you're new, I would just remind you, last year 3,000 churches closed in America. 3,000 churches closed in America. 1,000 churches are opening per year. 3,000 are closing in America. Is the church awake to the word of God? No, it's not politically correct. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 2,000 years nearer. You think this applies to us even more so? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What day? The day of the Lord. And if you die today, if I die today, that day's there. Boom, done, over. But there's also going to be a specific day when Jesus is going to return to this earth right on time. We believe in the rapture. He is coming at an exact second. Not like, well, you know, is it Eastern Standard Time? What time is he coming back? He's coming back right on time. And you and I, we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. So what do we do? Here it is. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Again, notice that human responsibility. God's given us the Holy Spirit. God will strengthen us through the Holy Spirit, but we have to surrender some to him, right? You're Lord of all. Are you Lord of all? Have I made you Lord of all? Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on... The armor of light. What were we asked to do in the two verses on the the projector? Put off. Put away. Put off. Put away. You want to get the imagery of a coat. You take your coat off. You take your flesh and you take and crucify it. Jesus said crucify yourself daily. You crucify it and you put on the Holy Spirit. You invite. You ask. You knock. You seek for more of the Holy Spirit. 
for more. Well, I don't feel like doing that. Okay, that's your Christian walk, not mine. It's not a matter of feelings. Jesus said, do it. He didn't say, well, if you feel like it, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Seek for more of the Holy Spirit. Did you say that? If you feel like it? I don't find that word in there at all. For God so felt like loving the world? Really? Is the word felt in there? Feel in there? No, not at all. Guys, we've got to lay aside our feelings and get into reality. I'm grieved over what's taking place in our country. I don't feel like I want this to happen. Big whoop. It's happening. So it doesn't matter what I feel. i got to be in reality and say, what can I do with the sphere of influence around me? Can I change the government? No. Can I change the Supreme Court? No. Can I change Congress, Senate? Can I do all that? No. I need to vote. Register if you're not registered. I talked to a pastor this past week. He thought everybody in his church was registered. He had over 300. He had a registration Sunday at his church, which is totally legal to do. Over 300 people registered to vote. I'm like, are you serious? That many Christians were not registered to vote? And the excuses that he heard? Well, it doesn't make a difference. Well, it's not my responsibility. Well, God has a plan. No, that, that, none of those are legit excuses. If you're dead, that's a good excuse. If you're not dead, you need to register. You need to get up with the time and you need to vote and then God's will be done. God will, God's will be done, but we need to do our part. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Verse 14 again, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what we have to do, guys? This isn't talking about religiosity. This is talking about relationship. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second half of verse 14, which is key, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Let's say I have a gambling issue. I don't, just so you know. But let's just say that I have a gambling issue. I'm just dealing in my mind, right? I wasn't planning on saying this until the Holy Spirit... What coming into my mind right now is a, is a person that had a gambling issue and they literally gambled hundreds of thousands of dollars and put their family in. They're done. They're done. So, I've got a gambling issue. What does it say? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I need to ask myself, Lord, would you have me gamble? Well, yeah, but if I win, I'm going to be able to pay off our house and I'll be able to get a new car and then we'll be able to do this with retirement and we'll be able to take vacation. We'll be able to... What is that? It's all flesh. It's all flesh. It's just flesh. So I'm going to gamble, gamble, gamble. Well, then the, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me, and I finally say, you know what? This is ridiculous. I've, I'm not going to do this anymore. Holy Spirit, give me strength to not do this anymore. Give me strength to not do this anymore. And then I start memorizing scriptures about money and being a faithful steward and being wise with my finances. And I memorize those, and I meditate on those. But I keep going to the casino, I'm strong enough. I could take it. And I walk through those casino doors. Now, as I walk through those casino doors, what do you think is going to happen? Am I going to go to the restaurant because they got really good deals on prime rib? I mean, realist, this is just real, guys. Am I, is that what I'm going to do? Because this is what the verse is saying here. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So if I have a gambling issue and I want to get over it, I still may be tempted to gamble. So I gotta make sure that I don't give my flesh that opportunity to gamble. So the temptation may not go away, but there's no sin in temptation. Read your Bible. James says there's no sin in temptation. It's when you fulfill that temptation, when you fulfill that desire, then it becomes sin. So if you're struggling in an area of your life, don't beat yourself up and don't let the enemy beat you up. That's Praise God. That means that the Holy Spirit's within you, you're submitting to the Holy Spirit, and you're willing to struggle. You're not just willing to be a dead fish and float downstream. You're willing to go against the flow. Praise God. That's great. Don't beat yourself up. That just means you're in reality. Well, how about Psalm 68, 35? Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. Remember what the Jews were doing? The temple, the temple, the temple of the Lord. We're not going to get wiped out like the ten tribes up north because we have the temple. They got wiped out. Idol worship. 
idol worship. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. Notice that. And you can find many, many scriptures in the old and new. How about Ephesians 3, 20 and 21? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit through Paul tells us ahead of time, you know what, you haven't even asked yet. If you would just ask, you'd be amazed at what God can do for you. But you're not even asking. I'm not even asking. It comes back to us again, guys. We do have a human responsibility. Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. What is that power? The Holy Spirit. The dunamis. Dynamite. That's where we get our word dynamite from. The Holy Spirit within us. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations. Notice that. To him be glory in the church. Is there glory in the church? Again, think universally. Are Americans flocking to the church? Is church growth going through the roof in America? 3,000 churches closed last year. Are the 20s and the 30s, are they flocking to the churches? Because the churches is showing that they have power. Christian fiction. That's a pep talk on a Sunday morning. No, the power is the Holy Spirit to transform your life. That's what draws people to the cross. Not lip service. But when they see a transformed life, then they go, huh, there must be something real about you. Because you used to swear, and I noticed you're not swearing anymore. You used to smoke, and I noticed you're not smoking anymore. You know, you used to go to the bars. I know you're not going to the bars anymore. You used to laugh at all our dirty jokes. And now you walk away. Something's different. What's going on with you? Have you gotten religious? And that gives you an open door to say, no. I've got a relationship with Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, I no longer want to do those things because they're not right. They're not healthy. God wants to keep me safe. You see, if God, big picture here, if God can transform Saul's personality, which we'll see in the weeks ahead, he can change anyone's personality. What was Saul doing? Entering every house and dragging off men, committing them to prison. Just men. Is that what your Bible says? This guy was ruthless. I don't care if you're a female. You're a Christian? Are you saying that you, as a Jew, believe that Jesus is the Christ, Martha, Mary? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Great. You're going to prison. You're going to prison. Doesn't matter to me if you're a female. You're going to prison. This is Saul, guys. Did God transform his personality? Absolutely. Can he change anyone's personality? You see, nothing's impossible with God. So please don't sit there this morning and say, well, you know, I, it, no, you know, you know, the scriptures just blow that out of the water. So quit making excuses, myself included, and submit and allow Jesus to be Lord of all. Verses 4 and 5, therefore those who are scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They're now out of their comfort zone. God used Saul to get the church to do what Jesus asked them to do in Acts 1.8, which is... Jesus saying, but what you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, which they were at quite comfortably, and in Judea, which they were doing, and in Samaria. Mm, not Samaria. There's no way I'm going to Samaria. And to the end of the earth, Queen Creek. To the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. No way, we're not going to the Gentiles. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Let's look at our text and see the exact opposite of the hatred of religion by seeing the love of relationship. You see, verse 5 introduces us to one of the original seven deacons of the church, Philip. The word doesn't tell us much about him, but this much we do know, that he was a man of good reputation. Remember to be the requirements of the deacons? 
The seven. Good reputation. He was full of the Holy Spirit. That was the second requirement. And the third requirement was that he had wisdom. We know that much about Philip. Excellent traits in order to love God and to love others. So if you're looking to be more of a lover of mankind and reach mankind, then those are three traits that you and I need to have. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom via the word of God. We also know that he was light years ahead of Saul as far as biblical maturity in regards to love. Saul was a Pharisee. Philip, we don't know anything about him. Who knows what he did? But you're saying Philip was light years ahead of Saul? Saul knew the first five books of the Bible were perfect. Love. What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is is conditioned on those two. If you fulfill all 613 commandments, but you have no love, you're like a noisy gong, clanging cymbal. You're worthless as far as God's economy is concerned. And that was Saul. He was worthless. We also know that he was, uh, this is another interesting thing. We also know that uh, he was single. So for you single people out there, that's very, very important. God uses people that are young, that are old, that are single, that are married. God will use anyone who submits to his will. So don't limit yourself. We also see that we're going to see further displayed in Acts is that Philip had a heart for evangelism, evangelism. So Philip, who was guided by the Holy Spirit, headed north to an area known as Samaria. He didn't go out and preach about Judaism. He didn't go out and preach about the law. He didn't go out and preach about circumcision or the temple, but rather to preach that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Did you hear what I just said? It's very important. Because when people come and knock on your door, what do they preach about? What do they want to teach you about? They want to teach you about their religion. Well, have you read our books? If you would just read our books, then you would further understand where we're coming from. I don't need to read your books. I read the book. And the book is the only book I need. They're not preaching Jesus. They may have it on their name tag, but they're not preaching Jesus. I've asked them. I say, you know what? I go to church over there. I don't tell my pastor because that, that just gets goofy really quick. So I just go, you know, I go to church over there at Calvary Chapel. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. doesn't matter what you think. I'm saved. If I decide next week to go to the Baptist church down the street because I know Pastor Billy right down here at Heart Cry, I know he loves Jesus. I know he teaches the word of God. I, I know he's going to heaven. I can leave Calvary and go to the Baptist church. Did I just lose my salvation? I just asked them, did I just lose my salvation? Because we're now a non-denominational church and I'm now going to go to a denominational church. Did I just lose my salvation? This is just simple theology, guys. You would just ask them simple theology. I'll say, okay, I didn't lose my salvation. Now let me ask you a question. If you leave Mormonism... Now their eyes start getting big. Do you lose your salvation? I already know the answer. And they already know the answer. So they get into politics and they start doing a song and dance. Well, and they start going around. No, no, no. It's a yes or no question. I know you might like politics, but right now it's a yes or no question. Do you lose your salvation? Yes. Yes. As a Roman Catholic, when I left the Roman Catholic Church, according to Roman Catholic theology... I lost my salvation. Really? Wow, that's amazing. I didn't lose my salvation. I didn't lose my salvation. See, guys, we just got to get down to the simplicity of the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Philip went and he he taught that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed one. You see, it's not about being religious. If you're here this morning and you're punching the clock at Calvary Chapel which I know some people can do because that's what they were born and raised in. You were born and raised in a religion, punch the clock, punch the clock. Hey, just go to church on Sunday. Everything will be fine. Punch the clock. Everything's not fine if you don't have Jesus as your Savior. You're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are going to hell. 
That's your choice. Don't blame God. So as you heard this morning, the Holy Spirit is reaching out to Muslims. The Holy Spirit right now in this room may be reaching out to one person who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is reaching out to you and he's saying, through me, God loves you. God desires a relationship with you. He will save you for all of eternity. Do you want to choose him? Do you want to receive him as your savior? Nope. Well, don't blame God. He's talking to you through me. He's talking to you, telling him he he loves you. No excuses from this day forward. See, it's your choice. It's your choice. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And let's go back to Jesus who teaches us about religion. Matthew chapter 7. I beg you, as Paul says, I plead with you, if you do not have a relationship with God via Jesus, to come up after the service and receive Jesus as your Savior. This is not a game. This is not a game. Eternity is nothing to play with. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus speaking to his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruits, but a bad tree bears bad fruits. So rabbi, in case you're new to the word of God, a rabbi would use physical analogies to teach a spiritual principle. So if a, if a person says, I'm a Christian, but you're still living like the devil... Now, I'm not a salvation investigator. None of us are salvation investigators because none of us are God. So I never tell anyone, you're not saved. I never say that to anyone. I'm not God. But I will say to someone who tries to justify their sin, I will say, well, the fruit you're producing is not a fruit of Christian of a Christian's life. So I would encourage you to really evaluate your life if you're saved or not. Because right now, the fruit you're showing is not salvation fruit. And I'll leave it at that. Allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does best. Convict. In verse 18, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, what does Jesus say? You will know them. So we are to be fruit inspectors, not salvation investigators. And there's a big difference. Just fruit inspectors. Be careful what tree you hang around. Be careful. Not everyone, listen to this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall go to heaven. Period. You're not, just because you say he's my Lord when he's not, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You're not. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, what it was the will of the Father. Jews came to Jesus one time and said, hey, what do we need to do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, to believe on him whom he sent. That's the work of God. Not cleaning the church, not teaching in the Sunday school, not saying so many prayers, all those are, that is fruit of salvation, but not for salvation. You see, religion has, I gotta do this in order to get saved. I gotta knock on doors, I gotta pray, I gotta read, I gotta pass out pamphlets, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, blah, 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 and then I might, I, you know, if I blow myself up, this is religion. If I blow myself up, I immediately go to heaven and get 70 Virginians, virgins. That's in the Bible? Wow! I've never thought of that. Why didn't I do that years ago? Because it's not in the Bible. It's in religion. Yeah, kill. Kill an infidel and you'll get to go to heaven. No, that's Satan. That's Satan. That's from the pit of hell. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, what is that day? This is the great white throne judgment. You and I, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, we will not stand in front of the great white throne. Never. We'll stand in front of the Bema seat, the reward seat of Christ, but that's not for salvation. Get salvation off the table. If you're saved, salvation's off the table. You're never standing in front of the judgment seat, the white judgment seat. 
but you'll stand in front of the Bema seat to get those rewards that you did, those, those things that you did via the Holy Spirit, by the way. You get rewarded for what God did through you, kind of crazy, but you're going to get rewarded for those things that you did in the name of Jesus. So salvation's off the table. It's not a matter of standing in front of the reward theme. I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven. Get over it. You're going to heaven. That's not the point. You are going to heaven. Many will say to me in that day, so in the judgment day, when those unbelievers are standing before the throne of God, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Is this applicable? The Mormons carry the King James Version of the Bible with them. They'll, they'll pull it out. I ask them to pull it out. I don't want to see your Book of Mormon. Let me see your Bible. Oh, you got King James. Wow, that's great. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let's look at the Gospel of John. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So just because you carry a Bible in your backpack, just because you pull it out and you might be able to quote a verse or two, that doesn't mean Jesus is your Savior. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? You know, there's some religions, you look at them, and I've heard people say this, but they look so nice. Just go, are you serious? They, their families have a family night. Oh, that is so sweet. Let's just love everybody to hell. That is just so nice. Is that what we're looking at? I know a lot of Christian families that are messed up that are going to hell. It's not clean. It's called a hospital. They need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Holy Spirit. You come to our house sometimes, you're going, man, you do need more of the Holy Spirit. That's just reality. It's just reality. Then I will declare it to them. Very, very important. Now, I know there are some people that question their salvation. I, I deal with this on a regular basis, so you have to memorize scriptures. You have to meditate. You have to read from Genesis to Revelation. Notice what is said here. Then I will say, I will declare to them. Who's speaking? By the way, who's speaking? Joseph Smith? Buddha? Muhammad? Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, and then I will declare to them. You see, Jesus even said, all judgment has been given to me from my Father. Jesus is the judge of all mankind. We will stand in front of Jesus as believers, the Bema seat, to get our rewards, as unbelievers, the great white throne, to be do what? To go through the second death. Then I will dare declare to them, I knew you, but I forgot about you. I knew you, but I lost you. I knew you, but you walked away from me. I knew you, but I, where's the register? Hey, Dad, do we got the register around here? I can't find this person's name. Is that what your Bible says? But that's what, that's what Christians think sometimes. I lost my salvation. How big is your God? How big is your God? You know, that's, that's like giving a brand new car to your eight-year-old. Who would give a brand new car to an eight-year-old? Nobody but a knucklehead. You know, but when you turn 16, I'm going to store this car for you for eight years. And when you turn 16, you get your driver's license, you, you show me that you can drive, then it's yours. I know it's a poor analogy, but you've got to use something. So why would God save you and then give it back to you to keep? Yeah, you're saved. Now don't mess up. I got unsaved within 30 seconds. Well, I got to get saved again. And then I got unsaved again. And then, oh, I got to get saved again. And then I got unsaved. It's like, oh my goodness. No, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Guys, that's just the word of God. If you know Jesus, get salvation off the table. Stop worrying about it. And just become more like Jesus. Mature in the faith. Say, God, how can I be more like your son? That's done. That's done. That's you. You've taken care of that. Mar- uh, Matthew, no, John 10. Write down Matthew 10, 27, 28, 29. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Write those verses down if you're struggling with salvation. There is no struggle. God's got you and you ain't getting away. So back in Acts, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Notice again, he's not preaching Judaism. He's not preaching the temple. He's not preaching good works. He's preaching Jesus. 
hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. Oh man, we're running out of time. Okay, get your hands ready really quick. Turn to Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one, very quickly. So we see here that another deacon whom God was using to perform miracles. You see, he was found faithful in the little. What was the little thing that God asked him to do through the disciples? Minister to the widows. The daily distribution. That was little. What were the seven found doing? They were faithfully doing what God asked them to do. So if God asked you to do something here or in your neighborhood, or at a family meeting, or in your workplace, besides preaching the gospel, on your own time you preach the gospel, you be the best witness. So if other people are stealing paper, other people using time on the computer, and you as a believer know you shouldn't do that, then you don't do that. And you are preaching the gospel by not doing what everyone else is doing. You are preaching the gospel. And then after work, when somebody says, hey, why don't you cheat? Everybody else cheats. Why don't you take a 15-minute break? Everybody else does. Well, because our breaks are only supposed to be 10 minutes. And, and you know what? I just want to respect my employer because he pays, he pays my bills. That's who God uses to pay my bills. It's very practical. Matthew twenty five twenty one. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Notice that. Faithfulness first comes through God's child by God watching you. If you're wondering why God's not using you, You might just want to ask yourself, have I done what God asked me to do? Did I do A, B, C, and then I wanted to do G, but I didn't obey E or F? Why isn't God using me? Well, maybe it's because you didn't even do A. You wanted to go right to G. But God knows better. And so you need to do A, B, C, D, E, F. Oh, here's G. Wow. And we have no idea what how he's going to continue to use us, but we have to be faithful in the little things. And most Christians don't want to do that. They want to be Billy Graham. Put me in front of 50,000 people. I can handle it. No, no, you couldn't. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the ministry of God. You see, guys, you and I, we are stewards Moreover, 4-2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful on an earthly plane for those of you who own a business or for those of you who are a supervisor or those of you who are over other people. Do you promote, let me just ask you a simple question and please give me a loud response. Do you promote the employees that are unfaithful? Duh. Do you promote the employees who are faithful? It's the same in Christianity. It's the same in Christianity. God wants to use us, but are we being faithful in the little things? No, I want the big things. You're not, it's a biblical principle. Until you're faithful in the little, God's not going to use you in the big. That's just a biblical principle. You can found it throughout the Old and New Testament. You see, it's an estimate, of course, but it's been roughly six years since the first day of Pentecost, the birth of the Christian church. Six years. Since that time, the church has grown, grown drastically and numbers in various situations arose that were not written down, as well as written down. Obviously, let's look at Romans chapter 15. Many other things had taken place in those early years, but what is written is for our learning. In Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before, so this would be the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So again, you need to read, I need to read from Genesis to Revelation, not just the New Testament. There is great comfort and great lessons in the Old Testament. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as we study the word of God, even this morning, we need to be asking ourselves questions about the verses that might be applying to us. So what might be some questions just from this morning? Again, this isn't in my notes, just from this morning. 
one of the questions that pops in mind right now is, am I faithful? Remember, the disciples said to the, to the people, pick out seven men who have a good reputation. So am I faithful? Do, do others see me as being faithful outside the church as well as inside the church? Am I full of the Holy Spirit? Question to ask yourself this morning. Am I full of the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? I'm not, I don't know. That's for you to decide, not me. Am I full of the Holy Spirit? And if you say no, then what are you going to do about it? Well, nothing. Okay. <laughs> That's your decision. But Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. And if you do those three, he'll give you more, or one of the three. You don't have to do all three. But if you do those things, the Holy Spirit will come in you and give you the strength that you were asking, that you were seeking for. And wisdom. Do I have wisdom? Yeah, I know how to fix a car. That's great. That's earthly wisdom. Praise God. That's that. We need that. We need that. Do you have heavenly wisdom? Do you have heavenly wisdom? Well, no, 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 no. Get it. I don't have it all by any means. I do not have it all. Don't insinuate that. Never will. I got, I got a ways to go. But God has given me a certain amount of wisdom. He's given you a certain amount of wisdom. Are you using that? Because if you're not using that, how can he give you more? If he can't build on it, how can he give you more? Paul says, uh, hey, let me see if I'm probably not going to be able to find it. Uh, I can only go as far as I think it's maybe Corinthians. You guys aren't in my head, so you can't help me out a whole lot. First Corinthians 15, we'll wrap it up with these verses. Moreover, brethren, see, you thought we were done and you zippered your Bible. Don't, you never know. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand. What did Paul preach? Judaism? The law? The gospel. First Corinthians 15, verse 2, by which also you are saved if you hold the word, hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Verse 3 is the key that I want to make here. First Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then he goes on and talks about the resurrection. But did you hear what Paul said? He said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. How can I give something to someone that I don't even have? So as a Christian, as a steward, I need to be in the word of God, not out of religious purposes, out of developing that relationship. So that when somebody comes and knocks on my door, I don't stand there just kind of gawking at them and go, wow, you quoted a verse out of the Bible. You must be a Christian. No. I say, well, you know what? You took that verse out of context and then you can explain that verse to them. They're not going to necessarily believe you, but you at least have that wisdom to do that. And you don't have to go to Bible college to do that. You just have to read your Bible and ask for the Holy Spirit. Maybe ask other believers, maybe get some commentaries and boom, you'll have it. And you go, thank you, God. I know how to answer them next time they knock on my door. Thank you, God. Father, we thank you and praise you that if we lack wisdom, James says, if we lack wisdom, if we ask you for more wisdom, and he's addressing spiritual wisdom, that you'll give it to us. It's not just for the theologians. It's not just for those who know Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Aramaic. It's for every Bible-believing Christian, whatever language they might have that you will give us spiritual wisdom. You will give us scriptural discernment to defend the faith, to explain the faith, to help others realize that they are sinners in need of a Savior, that no vast amount of religious works will ever cut it, that they will one day stand before Jesus and say, but Lord, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we? And Father, your son's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You were very religious, but I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. You never invited me in. Father, we pray for anyone here this morning. As your Holy Spirit convicts their hearts, I pray that they would not forsake that, but they would get up. They would come to the front and they would ask Jesus to be their savior. You love them. You love the whole world. This is their day. This is their opportunity to say, yes, I need a savior. And I'm going to go forward and ask Jesus to be my Savior. 
Father, we thank you for this day. We pray for this week. It's just going to be crazy fall as it always is. So give us strength to endure and to press through and to minister to our community through the harvest party or any other way that we that we can. Lord, I also pray for Pastor Durrell doing a great job on the book of Romans as he teaches Romans chapter 6 this week. What a chapter. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, Father. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all stand, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus, please come up. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Come up for prayer for anything. You need prayer for anything. We have oil, anoint the sick. God bless you guys. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher.